Hey man, how's it going? Hey, I'm doing good. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, good. Thanks. Thank you for coming. And uh, it's great. We've been speaking for quite some time over on Instagram, back <laughs> yeah, and forth. Yeah, it's been a while also. getting this one set up. So. Um, finally get to do it. It's good to chat and see um, what your heart story is all about, because mm-hmm. what you've told me is quite interesting and what I've been looking at online is quite cool as well. So basically, as I get everyone to do, can you just introduce yourself and just a little about your heart history? Yeah, um, so I'm Alec Lembecker. Uh, I call myself the Heart Surgery King, which is very egotistical, but oh well. <laughs> so um, I was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome in 1992. Uh, as a lot of the heart community knows, HLHS is what we call it. Um, and for that time period, like that was still pretty early on in the Fontan and a lot of those surgeries. So the success rate was a lot lower. Um, but luckily I was at Minneapolis Children's, which... Yeah, a lot of people might know Minnesota is actually where the first open heart surgery ever happened uh, successfully too. So that was kind of a convenient place to be when it came to this kind of stuff. And uh, the Children's Hospital in Minneapolis too is one of the top ones in the country. And uh, they were able to get me successfully through the three surgeries that uh, are necessary when you have hypoplastic left heart. Um, I had the first one when I was one week old the second one at five months old, and then the final one, the Fontan, at five years old. And uh, that one was actually the toughest out of the three of them. Uh, I was in the hospital for three months after that. I think it was, if I remember correctly, the total ended up being like 81 days. So it wasn't like a full three months, but it was kind of between three months. I think I got there in like mid-June and left in early November. Oh, wow. That's, that's crazy. And <laughs> Yeah, that one was really rough because like there was a few times where they had to keep putting me back into a drug-induced coma uh there was one time they went actually to to take the fontan down because it was just going so poorly that they were gonna have to do a fontan takedown which they hate doing those the success rate for those is like criminally low okay and they got in and they're like all right we we aren't gonna be able to do this and have him survive so because of that, they ended up not doing the takedown, but then ended up having to do a tracheotomy instead. And uh, they, I did not know that, obviously. So when I wake up after surgery, I can't talk or anything. And I actually freaked out and made my own heart stop. So that was pleasant, I'm sure, for my mom, who happened to be sitting by my bedside at the moment. Um, they were able to get me back, though, luckily. And it was a very long like month and a half after that where I was there every day of course in bed and then finally i think in like mid-october they got me to finally like off a lot of the tubes i was able to do a bunch of the um kind of rehab stuff they have you do anytime you have a post i mean it's a little different when you're five years old i just remember kind of wandering around the hallways was basically rehab at that point um but i mean after being stuck in bed for so long it definitely was difficult for even me at that time um, and then it was funny, though, because after I finally was able to recover from that, I was good for a very long time, up until I was about 19. And then the summer after my freshman year, they noticed some more stuff kind of like popping up out of the blue. Um, I had atrial flutter on and off. Uh, some liver issues started popping up where just my liver function was declining, which is a common thing for a lot of the older 
Fontan patients um, due to the way the surgeries, they did not realize this, but the long-term effect basically is that the blood backup in the lungs does not do very good in the long run. Um, and I know they have altered the surgeries now so that that isn't a problem for the younger patients coming up. But at that time, they didn't know that that was a long-term effect. Right. Um, so then I ended up, you know, adding a liver specialist on top of all the other appointments I already had to go to. And they just kept finding different stuff almost every time I went to my cardiologist. And it eventually got to a point where it's like, okay, your heart function is now declining as well. You have a low, you have atrial flutter. You were already, you know, kind of behind everybody else. And you're there. My function, my heart function was never where it should have been. My oxygen levels never, never where they should have been, but they kept getting lower and lower. And um, eventually they're like, all right, you're like, at this point, I'm 20 years old. And they're like, all right, we're just going to keep monitoring it. And it keeps getting worse, but very slowly, of course. It couldn't just, you know, get worse overnight or anything. No, no, it takes it takes their time. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm like, all right. So I just, you know, couldn't work anymore. And then I couldn't go back to school. And I'm like sitting around for four years, just like, all right, can we figure something out? And finally, in 2017, so at that time, I would have been 27, or no, I would have been, I don't even remember my own. I would have been 25 at that time. <laughs> Math is not my specialty, <laughs> as, you, as you can see here. My cardiologist one day was like, all right, I don't know what to do with you anymore. Like, I'm retiring soon. And I was one of his oldest patients, like oh, wow. one of his first patients. I yeah. was born a month after he started. And uh, so I was one of his oldest surviving patients. And he's like, I, I got to retire. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to see another doctor here. Like, I'm I'm not switching doctors. So finally he's like all right i'm gonna send your stuff to the mayo and he's like i don't even think this will be possible i don't know but i'll send it to them and see if they can do a transplant or like get you on the list at least and i've been bugging him since i was about five years old for a transplant so honestly i thought he was just messing with me because he kind of that's what we did when as i got older we would just go back and forth bsing a lot yeah my appointments because i guess in a way it was like all right i gotta make a joke out of all of this or it's just gonna eat you up and sure enough he wasn't messing with me. And I want to say it was July of 2017. I finally get a call one day from the Mayo Clinic. And I'm like, I, I didn't recognize the area code. I'm like, 507, where is that? Sure enough, it's Rochester, Minnesota, where the Mayo Clinic is located. And they called me and they're like, hey, uh, we're just confirming your upcoming appointments. And I'm like, wait, what appointments are you talking about? Like, I've never been there before i've driven through rochester one time my entire life and that's it <laughs> I, I definitely didn't go to the hospital get... <laughs> like... yeah i don't even know how to get to the mayo clinic what appointments do i have and sure enough i'm they're like oh yeah well you this is to see if you're eligible for a transplant um so ended up in 2017 i want to say it was it must have been like late july early august we ended up going down there actually and the first week is kind of just like the preliminary stuff where they kind of make sure one, your heart can handle it, your body can handle it. And if you're even somebody they would think about taking a chance on, because over everything, the doctors are always going to put their that, you know, especially the surgeons are going to put that record of theirs on the line. They yeah. don't want too much blood on their hands or whatever. So they need to make sure you actually can handle it and, and afford it. Cause here in America, you know, we don't get, no healthcare. Care. So yeah. <laughs> um, that was the other thing that was like, oh, can you afford this as well? And 
after the first week, they're like, all right, well, it's kind of tough with congenital heart defect patients, especially ones with hypoplastic left heart who had had the restructures done, but it is possible. So we'll see. They bring me back in November of 2017 for like a full week where they test everything like heart function, liver function. And that's when they kind of were like, all right, you're going to need a liver transplant as well. And they, yes. <laughs> like, well, at least my kidney function was really good. I guess that was the one. Yeah, that's an upside, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a crazy week. I remember like the first morning they draw blood. It's the first thing they do. And they took about 32 vials of blood where like so much where they had to switch arms halfway through. I'm just like, oh man, this is going to be a long week. But uh, they finally got me on the transplant list in January of 2018. And that was kind of just what I did for the next year and a half until uh, June of 2019. I got my transplant um, heart and liver from the same donor. But other than that, you know, it was just basically your typical congenital heart defect patient almost. That's wild. That's actually like quite a wild journey in (laughs) that like period being so young. And I was, when you were speaking there, was when you were talking about the three surgeries just when you were five, so did your parents know you were going to have this before you were born? Uh, no. So was it as soon as you were born, they were like, oh, this is what's happening type of thing. Yeah, they back then they didn't really get the chance to spot it in advance. You know, it was still I mean, just a few years before I was even born, they would just send you home and be like, oh, however long you last, that's how long you last kind of thing. And so I stopped breathing the See, I was born January 8th, so I think it was like the morning of the 9th that I they took me out of the room to, you know, do the weight, measurements, all that stuff, and I stopped breathing during that. So they come back into the room, and they told my mom, they're like, um, so he's stopped breathing. We've sent him to the children's hospital, and whenever, you know, like, she had to, like, get checked out of that hospital before she could go over to the children's one, and when she got there, that's when she met my cardiologist and a bunch of you know, surgeons and other people. And they went through the diagnosis with her and kind of the options, which were still at that time, take, you can take him home and enjoy these limited amount of minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, whatever it it may be. Or you can do the three surgeries, which will not only be very uh, like hectic for you guys, but also just no guarantee either. And uh, she opted for the surgeries because they were kind of what the recommendation was to give me the best chance. And, um, yeah, so it was mostly just my mom, though. Uh, my dad was in and out a lot, uh, as he pleased. So it, when I even growing up, it was just me and my mom and my sister. Right. So Yeah, that's but, quite hard. And on your mom as well with all that. Like, yeah. cause from a year. Well, thing, she, was was... The, she was a younger parent, too. She was only in her low 20s at the time, so... Yeah, because, like, kid. I can't even imagine, like, mm-hmm. doing that kind of stuff without having that. Like, you know, even with newborns that um, are healthy, it's mm-hmm. a hell of a lot. But then to have, like, within the hours, you're getting, you're well not breathing, and that's just horrific, you know. And so, like, good on her for managing to do so well. And she said, well, how old are you now? It's 29, 30. 30. Yeah, 30, 30 now. Thir- turned 30 in January. So. <laughs> Look at you're like, like totally grown up and all that. That's great. Yeah. 
when you were five and you said you were in three months in the hospital, the but you, between I suppose it's really hard because you don't really remember much from childhood and things. But do you remember being unwell? Like at times, like even before that surgery when you were five? Not not really. It's funny because like I said, even between the other surgeries, I always looked. I had that look. I had those same like kind of energy as a quote normal kid or whatever you know I I ran out of energy quicker and I always knew that that was one of the things the doctors always said were like you're gonna have to learn your own limitations and follow those um but I didn't feel sick it was funny actually because even like before transplant I wasn't in the hospital I was still at home I had my days of course and I did even growing up like after my Fontan you have those migraines constant migraines stuff like that. But I don't remember being too unwell on like a regular basis where it was like, oh yeah, this is so debilitating. I can't leave the house kind of stuff. I was relatively, given the circumstances, pretty healthy, I actually. Yeah. And then, because how many years did you say was between, it was when you were 17? Yeah. so It was was when the start uh, one, like the the AF and that. Yeah, actually 19. So I was at college for one year and it probably started during that one year even, and then just not going to the cardiologist well out of the, out of the state, probably when things started to take their turn and they realized it when I was home for summer break the next summer. Between Did you not notice it yourself then? Did you not, not feel? Not really. No. No, it was funny because they'd even ask like, hey, did you notice anything? Like they'd give me the dates where they could, because I had a pacemaker, so they could kind of go back and see when I was in atrial flutter and whatnot and they're like did you notice i'm like i don't know it's a thing <laughs> like no nothing at all so the the one thing i did always notice was just getting tired running out of breath very much you know a lot quicker than most people did i was always the last kid running well i wasn't even running the mile i was walking the mile in gym and stuff <laughs> i didn't, I didn't even bother i'll just do the clock just sit it out but they wouldn't let me of course so that's what do you do you feel with having your CHD and how you grew up and like that, saying not being able to run as much, do you, like I ask quite a lot of people this, do you feel that you missed out at all with childhood in that sense? Uh, yeah, definitely. Or did you change um, your childhood? Like, did you change how you went about life because of how much you could manage? I think it was a little bit of both. I definitely, I'm a huge sports fan. That was the one thing, like, I, I'm pretty sure I actually don't like myself because I always like stuff I wasn't able to do or have due to my art defect. Um, so in a way it was like punishing myself almost um, just loving sports. So I did miss out on that, but I also always tried to find a way to craft my life around stuff. So whether it was going to games regularly, um, you know, I was a huge Minnesota Vikings fan. So I go to their games a lot, Minnesota twins baseball team as well. Um, I go, I went to a lot of games. I tried to partake in like recess. Um, but one of the big things I did actually was in high school, I still got to be a part of a lot of the teams because I was an equipment manager. Okay. Um, so that was pretty cool. I got to be the equipment manager for four years, uh, for our football team in high school, three years for our basketball team, and then two for our baseball team as well. Um, and that was, that was always kind of my loophole, I guess, in a way I was just kind of my way of figuring out how to still partake and be a part of something special while being unable to play still. 
I spoke to a guy called Joey from Michigan, yeah. and he he's a big uh, pro wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. He was one of the, guys, the last guys I spoke to, and obviously he got CHD, so he could do he could he could become a professional wrestler because he mm-hmm. wouldn't be able to take the bumps and what what not. And he ended up just becoming a promoter, you know, and working within that sport. Yeah, and that's like what you just said there. It's it's good because then you still feel like you're part of what you love you know yeah and that's yeah, great definitely to have and that. i think it's cool in like the current era where you're in like it's easier than ever to find your little niche even with a congenital heart defect you know, especially with be- things being so virtual you know now you know you can get your name out there through the internet a lot easier than you could have back in the mid 2000s yeah. or whatever yeah. and so i think that is one cool thing like that a lot of I mean, it's never cool to have a congenital heart defect, obviously, but one thing for kids growing up with one now that we did not have that same experience is like the ability to connect so much easier with other oh, patients, definitely. but as well to find your little niche and to make your own little kind of brand if you want, even in a way. That's right. Because like I've said multiple times as well, like growing up, I only knew a handful of people and it was mm. like these weekends we went on with our charity that was when I learned of other kids with heart defects. And then I've been doing this podcast for a year and I'm speaking to people all around in Latin America and Australia and all that. Yeah. I never had that when I grew up. So yeah. and it's great. I know I sound like, I sound like I'm an ancient old man, but you know, <laughs> no, it was the, it was it was the same here. You know, it's kind of funny, like being 30, I'm in that like weird little space where it's like, I got to experience a lot of technology still towards the end of my childhood and youth. But then I like a good half, if not more of it was kind of in such early age of technology where yeah. we didn't have a lot of the stuff like that. Now you can like, it's kind of weird. Like you're kind of a crossbreed almost, right? Where yeah, exactly. Little, little loop right here, but didn't know very many, if any, congenital heart defect patients. Part of it though was too, because like I didn't want to i uh that was one thing i struggled with a lot as a kid was especially before high school was just wanting to be quote normal i wanted to be like the other kids i wanted to be able to do whatever they did so even when the opportunities like camp oday in which is a camp for congenital heart defect patients up here in minnesota stuff like that would pop up i would be like no i don't want to and like, right. i didn't want to be a part of that group at that time and, and it took a why was that then get... why did you not want to do that I honestly don't even know what my reasoning was. I just think like it took a long time for me to get comfortable, I guess, with the heart def- with having the congenital defect, but also just like, I don't even know if being happy with it is the right word, but being like settled with like, okay, this is my reality. And instead of kind of like making it my own thing, I didn't want it at all for a while there. It took me a long time to kind of just ex- come to terms with it, I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah. So I think that was kind of the big thing is like, no, I, I don't want to hang out with them. I want to hang out with people over here who are perceived, you know, society by society as the normal kids or whatever. I'd rather be a part of that group. Yeah. Though, it's kind no of like your, what I did, I wasn't going to. Like the, the jocks and the mm-hmm. the ge- geeks in a way. It's that kind of perception. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But it's it's not because it, like it, everyone, we're all equal. It's obviously mm-hmm. some of us struggle yeah. in other ways. And yeah, then, as a kid, it's it's tough to kind of realize that, though, especially. No, like, no, I get. I understand. You've got so much stuff in your face, media's, you know, all that different TV shows, movies, all this stuff. It's like, 
it's easy to be like, all right, yeah, I definitely am not not what no, I'm like quite glad I, I dealt with being a CHD kid back in the 90s and noughties rather than now because mm. what it's fed to you daily is pretty bad for confidence and things like that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, like, maybe we just didn't know, see much of it when we were younger, but I don't remember it being anywhere where it is in these days, but then mm. not everyone was on their phones 24-7 like they are now, you know. True, yeah. <laughs> but um, as well, you're, what's it, three years out of transplant? Yeah, it'll be three years on June 14th, so... And how's that been, like, health-wise? It's a roller coaster really actually outside of just in general it has um health wise my recovery went really good actually um i was only in the hospital for 14 days four of which which i was still under so i don't even count those but uh my my recovery went really well i've only had one like really small kind of incident where they spotted a tiny bit of rejection and that got kind of cleaned up quickly and that was that was in the first few months, even. Um, they sent me home early, even like because after transplant, you have to live by the facility because you have daily appointments, blood work, and everything for so long that they usually want you to stay right in the city with your facility for about three months. I think it was somewhere around there. They sent me home about two weeks or three weeks early. Um, so that was good. But then around the six month mark, I actually got something called post transplant lymphoma. Okay. Um, so I spent all of December, not in the hospital, but still feeling sick. And then all of January in the hospital with that um, and got treatment through, I think it was like mid January of 2020 into June of 2020. So uh, as everybody knows, by on now, top that, of... was not, that was not the greatest time to be getting <laughs> on top of everything else that happened in 2020. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, like, all right, I'm already high risk being with the immunosuppressants you have to take for your anti-rejection meds. And then I'm like, Oh, and then on that, I got cancer treatment. Yay. Um, and I think that was the, kind of the big thing too, is the pandemic, which really still isn't over, but I mean, it's, we're at a point now where we're, we're Everyone just kind it's of pretend it's over. Yeah. yeah we don't talk exactly. about it and so, it's over. Yeah. So, I mean, it's gotten a little easier, but for a while there, that was really tough too. just going I'm like, all right, I'm two years out from transplant, and I'm still living the same life I was pre-transplant, essentially. I can't go anywhere. can't really do anything. But this time, I was actually being kind of, in a way, teased with good health. So Yeah, so I feel better, but yeah, I can't go anywhere. Exactly. So that kind of, that was very tough for me for a while, actually. Um, That first summer, especially, was really rough. I would have, like, dreams on a nightly basis, almost, where I would be out in public without a mask on, and I'd just wake up, like, in a panic like oh, wow. it was not yeah it was rough for those first couple of years and then like i got the vaccine in april of 2021 and i was actually living by myself at that time i was in a i had to take a loan out just so i could get an apartment during the pandemic and kind of like being by myself safe away from everybody else because especially here in america my family still had to go to work and everything they were still being exp- out and about on a daily basis so it was kind of risky so I got my own place and I got the vaccine I was all excited and then at my annual appointments in 2021 they're like oh yeah it didn't work which is kind of a common thing for transplant patients um just because of our immune system being the way it is the vaccine didn't work 
Yeah, so it actually took three doses for me to get any kind of immune response to the vaccine. Right, and, what, um, and which one was it? I got Pfizer. Okay, um, yeah. And it was kind of that way with all of them. They said that it's just like a transplant patient issue, really, where the immune system doesn't respond just because of all the medications we're on, kind of preventing it from doing that. So it takes yeah. way more for it to finally get noticed and have the proper immune response. So I, I finally got that third dose. That was the other thing that was tough. It's like they knew this kind of, or like they kind of had the the information needed to be like, yeah, you need more doses. But they also couldn't just give them out. They had to wait for them to be approved. So I'm sitting there until I think it was August of 2021, finally got my last, my third dose. And I was finally like, got my results back in September. I had an immune response. And so that was when I kind of first started like getting back out there and doing stuff. And since then, I've had a uh, booster shot too. And that helped a lot. So I take it you've never had COVID that you managed to avoid it all. No, I actually did. uh, Back at the end of February, um, I had it. It was very minor for me. Um, I think it was because I had just had my booster shot like three weeks before that. And uh, (laughs) I told my Mayo Clinic right away. I'm like, hey, guys, I I got tested positive. And they're like, all right, come down here. And they gave me an IV infusion, kind of just body treatment as well. So I had a couple of days where I had some minor symptoms, and that was about it. That, that's good in a way to show how well that worked then if you were coming out yeah. of that transplant and the worry yeah, of all that i think it helped to being this far out it was kind of one of the newer variants which isn't quite as strong like i i did a good job in avoiding it until it was like i mean i feel like now looking back i'm like oh it was inevi- inevitable but i at least did a decent job waiting until it was not you know, we had the vaccine, so that helped. You had the antibody treatments. You had a, a variant which isn't as potent or whatever. So I think that kind of helped as well. Yeah, totally. Way. That's like, you know, because like that whole last two years, you forget, like time just seems to disappear. Like that, yes. these last two years, it's just been a wild ride for everyone. Never mind having all that stuff on top of what you've got to do. But like exactly. I say, like now it just seems to be a weaker thing so you kind of like it's still pretty terrifying if you hear it because you don't know how it's mm. going to react and especially for the high risk panic in that sense but that's great that yeah, you managed to get like straight down to your clinic and get put on those kind of things yeah yeah we i well and it was nice i mean it wasn't nice but it helped that i had had my mom and our roommate had already tested positive so i'm like all right, now it's like, I kind of knew it was coming. So that kind of helped like being able to test each day in advance instead of just being like, oh, I'm writing off to allergies or whatever. Like just instead of delaying it, I kind of was testing just because I knew it was a good possibility at that time. Yeah. So that kind of helped to get it, you know, right away and uh, get and then get a hold of my uh, transplant team down at the Mayo Clinic. Yeah, that's cool. And Another thing you did in the pandemic was you wrote a book. <laughs> yeah, uh, had a lot of time to kill. So, and that was... was that something that you just decided to do, or had you always, like, as you grew up, you were like thinking with your life, you're like, I'm going to write a book one day, and then obviously this time it came, <laughs> or was it a case of it was just like, oh, I'm going to write a book and just hashed out? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always loved writing. I feel like. For me, that's always been when I've been most able to express myself. 
uh, per- personally at least. Um, as for writing a book, you know, especially an autobiography, it was not on my radar growing up. Uh, it actually kind of got tossed around the idea of it did every once in a while towards like the, I want to say it was like early 2019, late 2018, kind of as I neared transplant. I'm like, oh, well, if, if I ever get the chance, I'll write a book. But it wasn't something I was sitting there like, oh, yeah, this is a thing I'm determined to do any moment now. It's kind of more of a when I get if I get some time. And then in the hospital while I was in the ICU, of course, all the nurses, oh, yeah, you should definitely do that. You should write a book, do this, that. And I still at that time, I was just focused on recovering. So it was kind of for me, I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll get to it eventually. We'll see. And then that was kind of still what it was supposed to be, like a down-the-line kind of project. And then the pandemic hits, and I'm like, well, can't go anywhere. I can't do anything. I might as well <laughs> as find as something productive <laughs> to do, yes. Might as well start now, I guess. Um, so that's kind of what I decided to do during the pandemic. It was So it was a little bit of both. It wasn't a long-term thing, but it wasn't like a spur of the moment either. Right, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, an idea that got the process got sped up due to outside factors, really. And so it's, it's a story just about your life and yeah. what you've gone through in the last 12, 29 years, if it was just before you were 30. And I was on, I was looking and there's a lot of, like, the people have reviewed it, saying how mm-hmm. great a book it is because it's such an honest view of what a CHT person has gone through. Yeah. And, I'm guessing that's the best way to portray a book. If rather than sugarcoating and making it sound all nice, you gotta be truthful and mm-hmm. harsh, harsh in a way. Would you say, like, yeah, it's definitely a. I mean, almost. I guess maybe even the best word would be a darker take. Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily the best <laughs> term, but it's more. It's definitely more real. It's not. You know, it's not one of the children's books you're gonna read. <laughs> it's definitely for a older aud- audience. You know, teenagers at the very least who are dealing with a lot of the stuff I talk about in the book as I kind of discuss it. Like it go, I go through these social struggles I had in high school and in middle school and, you know, all sorts of different things from the first, from when I was born all the way up to my transplant is actually when the book ends. So right. You have to do a part it, two then. <laughs> yes. You well, know? that, that hasn't been in discussion already. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So. And how did, so when you, like, obviously how long did it take to fully write? Because you say you're, or you like writing yourself, or mm-hmm. did you get help in like? Because I don't know how to write a book, so this, I might sound like I'm speaking nonsense. But <laughs> did you like go and get an outside person to help you write it as well? Uh, no. So for me, that was I I, I wrote it myself. Um, that was actually a big thing too for me. I had a lot of friends who were like, "You've got to, you got to bring this to a publisher. They'll want to buy it." they can get it out there but the thing with the publisher is as soon as you sign over the rights to the book they can do whatever they want with it so i wrote it myself i did most of the editing even though that's not necessarily my strongest suit i did do most of it uh i did have an editor for a while and they not we we had some differences in creative differences so i ended up getting rid of them and ended up doing most of the back half of the book, the editing on myself using some other self-published authors I had met through this process. And then as well as a different couple different programs they have that can help you in editing. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I started with a, just a rough draft that was I think 
almost 400 pages. It was basically a Harry Potter book of my life. <laughs> and and I trimmed it down and kept trimming it down until I, I finally found a draft that I felt was a good balance between not too wordy, not too lengthy, but then also gives the right, tells the story the best yeah. way possible. And got a, I know what it says, about a playlist, like yes. through the book of songs. That, is, was that songs you love just in general or was that actually remembered them throughout your life? Um, so it's it's actually, it's funny because, so for me, I put the playlist in because being self-published, I'm like, All right, I got to find something a little bit unique about the book too to make it stand out more on top of just the story itself. But for me, music was always kind of my that's still even like to this day kind of my out or my like you know my little escape um it's helped me through everything so i wanted to do that in a way to honor it too um and a lot of the songs i picked either the title of the song or the content of the song has to deal with the content of that particular chapter okay so like for example i think it's chapter three i talk about my childhood so it's like i think the song is uh simple back then by recognize who is actually from the UK, went to Miami, and is now signed with Strange Music. Um, and it's a song basically just about his childhood and how things were simple back then, at least to him. And I'm like, all right, I can kind of fit this in here because it was between my two surgeries where I, that chapter is. And then... Okay. And would you, when with uh, the way the playlist is done, would mm-hmm. you, when for anyone that reads the book, do you want them to read that chapter and then listen to the song or is it a case of finish the book and then go listen to the music or is it the idea of to do it along with reading? Um, so I didn't really put any like concrete rules to it. I figured it's best for each reader to kind of decide what they would like. Uh, my recommendation that I put in the book is to play the song and then read the chapter and then okay, you know, move yeah. there. So kind of a warm up to each chapter to kind of give you a general idea of what the vibe and the content coming up may or may not be about um but it's i left it up to the reader too it was like you know it's it's your reading experience that let let you guys decide overall i mean it's not even a requirement people i know a lot of people who read the book that didn't touch the playlist at all all right so, okay yeah because yeah. i like the idea i like the idea of having music to go with because mm-hmm. in, in a sense it's portrays it as a movie with the same, yeah, you don't get your soundtrack. Well, and that's another thing I'm in, into is movies and television. So I, I kind of got that too. I'm like, okay, it's kind of like a, an additional experience to just the book itself. Yeah. In a way. Um, and it was cool too, because I actually got to reach out to a few of the artists featured in the, whose music is featured in the playlist. And uh, some of them even reached back to me and I got, I was able to send them some copies and oh, get wow. them posted online. So yeah, that was pretty cool. That's cool. As well. And from what I've seen, it's available pretty much anywhere you can get a book, really. Yeah, uh, Target, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Lulu.com, which is the uh, public, who is who I used for the printing and dis- distribution. And you can get both a digital and hard copy. Yeah, yeah. Paperback version is available pretty much anywhere, and the um, the digital version is available on Amazon exclusively. Oh, okay, cool. Excellent. Is there anything else you'd like to say about your book? Or Yeah, I guess like one thing I would add is the title Born with a Broken Heart. Um, it, I That was kind of like a, 
it was funny when I first came up with the title, it was supposed to be like kind of a, a little joke, like, ah, oh, it's kind of funny. But then when you think about it in a way, the heart is broken. It's not properly functioning. So then I did end up using it for not only the physical side of it, though, the literal malfunctioning of the heart, but also my soul. Like I kind of used it as a way and like being born with the congenital heart defect led to social struggles, all this other stuff that played from a mental or a you know social factor as well so in a way the broken heart that i was born with was kind of both physical and from a social mental psychological factor as well yeah that's really cool that's an interesting way of putting that yeah Aiden, is would you like to discuss anything else or you got into i mean right now uh i'm working on just i have a little film's it's not even really a film studio. It's a uh, video production, I guess, more so than anything. Um, I do highlight videos for athletes. Um, and that I saw that on Instagram, way. actually. This, yeah, you posted it yes. the other day, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Was, I had uh... my first Taekwondo one a couple of days ago. Of a friend of mine, her son won a, a state championship in Texas. And I'm like, I don't know anything about fighting. Uh, I got into one fight when I was in fourth grade, and I got one hit KO'd, so... I don't know what I'm looking at, but I will do my best to make this video for you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I, do the, I did that one recently. Um, I mostly do basketball. I do football as well with actually working with my old high school, uh, their football team. So that is pretty cool as well. And, um, yeah, that's through HSK Productions, Heart Surgery King Productions, which my ultimate goal is to eventually move out of highlight videos and for that to be a movie studio uh, one day. Um, I'm actually going to film school in October even. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, cool. Yeah, starting that. Uh, I'll be going for VFX per, VFX compositing at first. Uh, and then my ultimate goal would be to go back after a couple years and then do the full film production program at that time before hopefully launching a successful movie conglomerate. No, you know. That's a great goal to have as well, you know. And... <laughs> You got to have those visions, or you know, you're not going to get there, are you? Yeah. Well, and it's nice because like I've got the logo already. Um, I was able to find somebody who helped me out with that, and I even sell merch uh, of the logo. And I've got a new merch design that actually came out this month, um, since it is Donate Life Month. It is a blue heart with a red heart and then a green heart. So the blue and red congenital heart defect ribbon, of course, and the green one is the Donate Life color, and then over that. In black text, it says, turning tragedy into triumph, one heartbeat at a time, which is one of the final lines from Born with a Broken Heart. Um, so I actually took that, put it on a T-shirt. We have beach towels, pretty much everything you can think of over on my website in my shop. And then I also have some merch with the HSK Productions logo and stuff on it as well. Awesome. The So the Instagram I have is... Mm-hmm. That's just your personal account, right? That's your yeah. separate one. That's my only. No, that's my no, only. No, so everything I, is that way. Yeah, I, I didn't really want a business account and stuff. I'm like, I'll just run it like this. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it was just yeah, for everyone to, to go to your. I'll tag you when I release the episode and mm-hmm. send everyone your way for all your links and everything there. Then is that the best yeah. way to get everything? Yeah, uh, Instagram, Heart Surgery King uh, on. Twitter is HSK Productions, and then uh, my YouTube is HSK Sports Productions, and then um, HeartSurgeryKing.com is my official website. Oh, cool. 
I'll put that up on the episode. But yes. thank you very much for joining me this afternoon, for your afternoon, my evening. Um, <laughs> Thanks for having me. Even <laughs> with the time difference. Getting oh, don't even get me started. I'm so, <laughs> just, I don't get it. I really struggle. <laughs> ask every there, person I speak yeah, to. It's it, like always confusion. <laughs> it's funny because it just changed like two or three weeks ago too. So it's like, yeah. that's probably why the Google information wasn't updated or whatever. Like, you'd think the internet would be right, but no, it's clearly, it doesn't no. work. <laughs> but yeah, great uh, chatting to meet you and everything. Uh, hopefully speak to you soon. Sounds good. Thank so, you. Catch you later, man.